church. So uh, if you have your Bibles, hopefully you're in 1 Peter chapter 5 at this point. I want to just publicly declare and celebrate that um, unity is always a work of the Holy Spirit. Like we, we, we definitely have to be active participants to have unity and peace in our life. But the ultimate work of unity and peace has to come from the Holy Spirit. And I, and I don't know how many of you, like when you think of church leadership or maybe you have served in church leadership before or maybe you've been in a church where, you know, leadership, and it, and it always seemed like just like this constant debacle going on, you know, or like there was just like this just bad stuff and like a lot of animosity or maybe some of you have been through a church split and you've experienced division in the body and like, you know, something that we get to enjoy and celebrate here. It's been because of the grace of God. Is that group of guys that you just saw here on stage are immensely and fervently committed to Jesus, and they are to one another as well. Like, this is a brotherhood. These fellas love one another. They sacrifice for one another. They, there, there is no animosity. Nobody has any hidden agendas. Those guys didn't roll off because they got tired of it, and these guys didn't roll on because they're going to try to fix everything that got messed up. Fortunately, here at GBC, we don't have to mess with that riffraff. The Lord has gone before us and has brought unity amongst his leadership here at GBC. And we get to celebrate and enjoy what it's like to have a, a band of godly men leading our church that really are humbly submitted to the Lord and to one another. We get to enjoy the fruits of that. Let, let me just tell you, Grace Bible, that is so rare, so unusual. Some of you can relate to that. Some of you have no idea, but just trust me, like God has shown his favor upon us at GBC that that these guys right here are the way they are and that God continues to work through them. There's been hard decisions that have had to have been made throughout the years. There's been, there, there's been some difficult seasons. There's been some hard prayers we had to pray, hard conversations we had to have. But ultimately, God has continued to nourish that unity amongst our leadership and has continued to do great things. Pray for the unity of the leadership at GBC. The enemy doesn't like that. He sure doesn't like, he didn't like seeing those guys walk out of here today as a band of brothers without an ounce of animosity towards one another. Uh, he wants to, the enemy's, part of the enemy's plot of causing division in communities and churches and families is start at the top. If I can get the leaders against each other, then they have all the people to follow soon. Just look at our country. It all starts there. Um, but God has done a great thing here, and we want to enjoy that and continue to be intentional about nourishing that and serving that as a church family. So we're talking about biblical eldership today um, and the great gravity that it has on the life of those guys. So uh, part of this, much of this conversation, we're going to be explaining to you kind of what they just stepped into, what the calling is, and what the qualifications are to be an elder within the church. And then we'll shift gears and kind of talk to us as a church family of what the right response that we should have towards that, all right? And so, let me pass it off to you, Pastor yeah. Ken. Yeah, you know, the last couple of weeks as we've been walking through First Peter, uh, we've been talking about suffering specifically. And there's been uh, lots of outside forces that have been impressing you know, hardship upon the people of God, whether it's governing entities, whether it is relational rifts within the body, whether it is unruly masters and bosses, even the unbelieving world. And, and here we come to chapter 5, and gosh, Peter transitions from the suffering imposed from the outside, and he moves to issues within the community of faith, within the family of God. How are we supposed to work through suffering and persecution as the family of God? And we, we need to remember that we are a family. Like, we are a body 
Like the, the saving work that Jesus did rescuing you from sin and darkness was not, was not this exclusive isolated event that's to happen in a vacuum. No, we were saved into a kingdom, into a family, into a body, into which we must learn now to live with one another in such a way that our care and our concern for ourselves is as important as our care and concern for one another. Which is why Peter is about to bring up leadership and authority and structure and governance within the context of the local church. Here's the deal. Suffering and persecution faced by believers, it puts a strain on the entire community. Or at least it should. When one part of the body hurts, the rest of the body is to hurt. When one part of the body is grieving, the rest of the body should come alongside of them and grieve as well. And so Peter is going to give us a bit of the prescription of what it looks like for the body of Christ, the leaders within the church and the body, the members of the church to coexist with one another. This is important for us. Why? Here's, here's why. Because the church, and I don't mean the building and the walls and the doors, the church, the people of God, the every nation, every tongue, every tribe, church of Jesus Christ, this is the vehicle that God created and designed to transform the world. And so the relationship that the people of God have with those who have been tasked with leading it and shepherding it and overseeing it, it is vital and it is important. Now, the text divides itself in two ways, okay? The first four verses, it speaks to the elders, to the shepherds, to the pastors, to the overseers. And 5 through 11 speaks to you, the body. We want to talk to both. We want to talk to the elders first with you listening in for, for this reason. One, we want you to understand the gravity and the weight of the call of God on, the, on those who God has been called in the leadership. But we, we also want you to know what the clear biblical expectation is for those who have been called to lead you. So that when you don't see it, you bring that up. You make a call and you call Dustin and you say, I'm not seeing this from the leadership at Grace Bible Church. And it's unbiblical. And I have a right and responsibility to call that to task. Mm-hmm. We yeah. want to be held accountable to the word of God. Yeah, and if I'm the one slipping, call one of the elders. Oh, please call uh, me. Yeah. No, don't call him. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> call, but, one of, call one of the nicer elders. You know? Which one's the nicer? <laughs> Pastor Chris? Pastor Chris call is definitely Pastor the nicer. Chris. Paul, call Chris. <laughs> but we also, want, we also want you listening in because we're, we're confident that there just might be one or two or more of you out there who are leaning in and hearing this conversation and that the spirit of the living God starts to work in your heart and you are convinced that you You are called to this work of helping to care for and see the body of Christ flourish as well. All right. Should we do this thing? Yeah. And not only are we confident, but we're counting on it. We're trusting God that he's going to continue to raise up the next generation of leaders of GBC as some roll off and some roll on. We, We need God to continue to raise up those leaders that have the mantle of eldership that's been placed on their life by the Lord. And so, yeah, listen in. Listen in for people that you know. Um, to see if this is uh, something that maybe the Lord's calling them to. Let's read First Peter chapter 5 again, verse 1 through 4, for the sake of our conversation together. And Peter says to the elders of a suffering and struggling church in the first century of Rome, I exhort the elders among you as, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Jesus, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed one day. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight. Don't do it under compulsion, but do it willingly. 
as God would have you to, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Paul addresses the elders as an elder here. And then he gives these elders the instructions, the responsibilities of what it means to eld. Verse 2, verse 3, shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. Now there's a lot here. And before we can unpack that text, we have to kind of get our definitions right. The first word that Peter uses here is the word elder. It's the Greek word presbyteros. You know what it means? It means old. Old. Speaking of age here, older, more seasoned, veteran, lots of life, lots of experience. It came, though, to be defined as a a person of responsibility and authority. And we find this designation all throughout the Old Testament. Moses established elders when the people of Israel, they were were in the wilderness and they were moving towards the promised land. There were elders over the people who, who worked both nationally and locally and congregationally, even within the tribes as they continued to grow. Fast forward to the post-exilic period, post-exile when the people of Israel were leaving Babylonian captivity and going back to settle back in Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah, they established elders over the people of God to help lead them and guide them and and guard and care for them. Uh, New Testament, we see there were elders of the Sanhedrin. We had elders and leaders of local synagogues. Uh, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, we see the leadership of the church in Jerusalem established elders, even the Apostle Paul on his missionary trips, they were tasked with establishing eldership in all of the places where they launched churches. This office of leadership is established all throughout the scriptures. But this word elder, presbyteros, it's not the only word that the New Testament uses for this role of leader. And it's beautiful because in this very passage, we see these other two words that are synonymous throughout the entire New Testament. He says it in verse 2. Here's what you need to do, O elder. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Peter instructs these elders to shepherd. That word shepherd is a Greek word, poimen. It's where we get our English word pastor from. And to pastor is to shepherd. What does a pastor do? They guard, they guide, they feed. That's what a shepherd did. A shepherd moved the flock, right, moved the sheep from pasture to pasture to make sure they had enough food to eat and they protected them from predators. That's the work of a pastor to shepherd. But in the very same breath, he uses another word here. We find it in this phrase, exercising oversight. Some of your translations may may identify it as an overseer. It's one word in the Greek, and it's a real funky word. The Greek word is episkopos. It's fun to say. Episcopos. Episcopos. And here's what's cool about it. It comes from a root Greek word, skopos, where we get our English word scope from. And we understand, right, like a telescope and a microscope. These, these are instruments that we look through in order to look carefully and to scrutinize something up close. And here's the deal. This is what Peter is calling us to. Peter is calling an elder, a bishop, an overseer. That's what that word episkopos means in the English language. It translates as bishop. An overseer is to look through the telescope with great scrutiny to care for the people in the flock. But if we divorce episkopos from shepherd, here's what happens. Because those go together. 
When you're an Episcopos and you are overseeing but not shepherding and caring for and guarding and caring and loving, what happens is we look with scrutiny and we look for faults and flaws in the sheep. But when we marry that together with the call to shepherd, we are looking with great scrutiny to make sure that care and guidance and concern and loving kindness is happening to make sure that the people of God, the flock of God among us are feeding on the truth of the word of God and are protected from error and are protected from predators. Peter puts all these terms together, shepherd, elder, pastor, overseer, and all three of them work together. These are the terms. Now, Peter, it's interesting, he addresses these elders as fellow elders there in verse 1. He doesn't weigh in as an apostle, which is exactly what he is. An, an apostle was that, that chief architect that God used in the first century to establish the sanctity of the church and the structure of the church. But Peter doesn't write as an apostle. He writes as a fellow elder. In other words, what we see in Peter here is a model for leadership. Peter's not asking these elders to do anything that he hasn't already done. And he doesn't stand above them as some super elder who's untouchable and on a pedestal. Instead, he says, no, 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 I'm like you, elders, a fellow elder who shared in the sufferings of Christ, a witness to those sufferings. Peter both saw Jesus treated unjustly, but he also faced the persecution that came by taking the name of Jesus. But he also says, I'm a partaker of the glory that is to come. And so what we said to these fellow elders that we are doing this work with is that Peter gives us an example. And he says, hey, I'm in the trenches with you. I've experienced what you've experienced and I want to set an example for you. And I appreciate that. There's a leveling effect to Peter's words here. It reminds me that Peter's not perfect and neither am I and neither is this guy especially. Like we're all going to make mistakes. And if you follow Peter's trajectory throughout the Gospels, I'm not going to let you get a word in. I'm going to keep going. If you follow Peter's trajectory throughout the Gospels, like the man usually opened his mouth in order to insert his other foot. He was impetuous. He spoke without thinking. This guy sounds very much like me, doesn't he? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, just last week I got to talk to your wife and she said Hold that on, hold she, on. She's in here. Oh, I know. And she's probably comfortable with me saying okay, this. Okay, carry on. And she said that she found your report cards from when you were in middle school. I think it was fourth grade. And like the, the notes that the teachers were saying, and the teachers said, um, Cameron's such a joy to have in class, talks a little too much, and often answers questions meant for the other kids. And I'm like, I know that guy. You know, like, <laughs> I've known him for... <laughs> I was caring for them. They didn't yeah, have the right answers. In fourth grade. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> all right, all right. So here, 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 here's the deal. Here comes the instruction, Right. Here's the responsibilities for the role, elder, pastor, shepherd, verses 2 and 3. And th this, is, this is for the elders who left already. Uh, but for you, maybe who's leaning into this, this is the expectation and church family. Again, this is for you as, as well. If you don't see this, then there's a, there's a major problem. And we need to be called out according to the word of God. You have a responsibility and a right to address us and hold us accountable to this, how we, your elders, are to love and care and shepherd you. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Such words for those that are serving as elder may eventually, and we're talking to young folks in the room too, you may, you may be a, a youngster that is, is thinking about possibly going in the direction of pastoral leadership in your life. Lean in to this conversation. But in Peter, Peter reminds 
these elders of this really important gospel central attitudes that are of their heart that they need to have because quite honestly the weight of eldership and pastoral leadership can be daunting and painful and explosive and it, it can tear you apart. Uh, be, being immersed into so many people, so many other people's lives, uh, their troubles can wash up on your shore so much that you start to absorb that. And this is, this is a reminder um, to those who are elders to continue to tether themselves to the Lord. Because I, I tell you, just, just this year alone, statistically speaking, in America, there will be over 15,000 pastors that will leave the ministry. Just this year, 15,000 in America this year, statistically speaking. As a matter of fact, I heard a recent statistic this past week that one in five, one in five American pastors have already declared that at the end of all this stay-at-home uh, stuff that we're going through, through COVID and all that, one in five have already declared in some way, shape, or form that once their church kind of gets back to normal, that they're <clears throat> stepping out of their role as a pastor. That's how significant the weight is. As a matter of fact, those of you that are in any kind of leadership, you recognize the weight and the pain and the gravity of, of le gravity of leadership and how much it costs you. And so for those pertaining to eldership, um, I, I wanted to read you a quote from a book that I'm reading right now and actually leading our, uh, I, I meet once a week with the young leaders that are on our staff um, and we do leadership development once a week. And the book we're going through right now is called Leadership Pain from Sam Chand. Um, I would definitely encourage this if you're a leader of any kind, um, but particularly if you're considering uh, pastoral leadership as well, or if you are in the marketplace, but you look at what you do as a pastor, as a missionary, as a shepherd, leadership pain will be a faithful guide for you. Page 12, this is what he says, though, of elders and pastors. He says, the pastor is there when a baby is born, and he's there when the mother dies. The pastor celebrates with a couple when they move into a new home and he comforts them when the mortgage company forecloses on that home. The pastor rejoices when people are promoted at work and he grieves with them when they are unemployed. The pastor is thrilled with parents when their children win awards and scholarship and he goes to the jail with them when they have to post bail for their wayward kids. He's full of hope as people stand at the altar and say, I do, and he weeps with them as they growl, I quit. Pastors are exposed to the dreams and dreads of people at every stage of life. In the span of an hour, a pastor may receive several glowing reports and as many messages about tragedies. This role in the lives of families is an incredible honor, but it produces tremendous pressure and often excruciating, vicarious pain. If they aren't careful, the cumulative pain can crush the life out of them, figuratively and literally. You know, this reality is why Peter so clearly speaks to the motivations driving the role and responsibilities of the elder. That the oversight that we are to exercise is to be done not under compulsion, but willingly. Verse 2. You know, another translation reads, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. In other words, the motivation of elders must be divine and not human. Because if the motivation to eld and shepherd and care does not come from God, but is birthed in our own humanity, then we will burn ourselves out because we will continually be depressed and dejected because we are dealing with people. And we are people. And people mess up. People are messy. People still 
disbelieve God and have unbelief in their hearts, even as believers, and believe lies and end up making tragic mistakes. And if we don't tether ourselves to a motivation that comes from a willingness from the call of God, man, we're going to shipwreck ourselves. And so he says, not under compulsion. Like, it is dangerous for the church when unwilling men are asked to serve as elders. And we, praise God, have not found ourselves as a church in that place yet. And we regularly do some maintenance underneath the hood to make sure that the men that God has called to lead this church are healthy and are nurturing their own love affair with Jesus and nurturing their love affair with their wives and caring for their children. Because this church thing can very quickly become a mistress. We know Friends of ours and people we've been engaged in ministry have shipwrecked their lives and their careers and their families because they did not know how to operate, not under compulsion, but willingly out of a zealousness and a desire for Jesus in him alone. Verse 2, he says, an elder's motivation is not to be for shameful gain, but eagerly. None of us are up here getting rich. And the motivation here isn't to be driven by money. Though elders were evidently taken care of by the church, they made money, they financed and handled the finances of congregations. We see that in 1 Timothy 5, 1 Corinthians 9. But it wasn't money that motivated these elders, but it was an eagerness. It was a zealousness. It was an enthusiasm for God and his work, for the good of the people that they were called to shepherd, and for the glory of God in that specific, unique mission station of whatever that local church was. Again, our want to is birthed by and fueled by an eagerness to please the Lord, not make a living. And finally, this last motivation, Peter says, finally, an elders to shepherd the flock and exercise oversight, not in a domineering way, but by being examples to the flock. Now, how many of us have experienced overarching, overreaching, authoritarian rule at the hands of someone who held the title as pastor, elder, deacon. Someone who, because they welded a little bit of power, they felt that they had permission to run your life and to tell you what to do and what not to do. And, and they ruled with an iron fist. That's not the leadership of the life of Christ. And so we are called to not exercise oversight in a domineering way, but by being examples. That word example in the Greek, it's a Greek word that means to trace. You know what it means to trace, right? It's the only way I know how to draw with kids. I have to trace something. But it was used in the first century referring to an impression left by a stroke, right? Like a stamp, the impression of any kind of engraving. And the implication is clear. Peter is saying that elders and shepherds and overseers, like they are to be so embossed and engraved by the kind, compassionate life of Christ that when they interact with the people of God, the people of God see and interact with the life of Jesus. And if you don't see that coming out of your elders, that's something that we need to be draw, drawn to our attention. Because there are days when the loving, kind, compassionate Jesus doesn't come out of me. Don't believe me? Ask my wife. Ask my children. But that's not the pattern. The normative response of elders is to lead and be an example to the flock. And as shepherds, we are to be so struck by the impression of Christ that you see him in your dealings with us. But there's more to call this role is absolutely well we, we've we've talked a little bit about this morning obviously we talked about this for several weeks but what we've been talking about is kind of what the role of an elder is but we need to answer the question like what are the qualifications of an elder do we do we just pick uh, elders based on who we like uh, in the church who we get along with um, some of you have come from churches in your lifetime as did I 
where the church leadership was basically selected by the most influential people in the church became the leaders or the people who wrote the biggest checks became the leaders of the church. That's not the case here. Um, we as an elder team as a whole, we have no idea who of you give financially and we have no idea who gives how much. That's true of each of us too. We don't know what our elders give to Grace Bible Church. We didn't appoint them by their influence in the community or by how big a checks they wrote. We, we really want to be a spirit-led church that is guided by the word of God. And so the word of God actually gives us clear and distinct direction on who's supposed to be elders within the body of Christ. And so if you have your Bible, I'm flipping over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is one of the places that talks about it. Let me read through this. We're going to make a bullet point list of the qualifications and then briefly tease out each one so we understand kind of what he means when he says some of this stuff. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we talk about the qualifications of eldership, pastors, shepherds, overseers, verse 1 says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires, say aspires. Aspires. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, episcopos, elder, shepherd, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage their own household, how will he care for God's church? Good question. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, people outside the body of Christ, outside the family of faith, so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare with the devil. He also, uh, the Apostle Paul also gives some of these very similar instructions to Titus. You can flip over and read the book of Titus in chapter 1, and these are instructions of as Timothy and Titus and the New Testament uh, church leaders are setting up and establishing churches in cities around the known world, they were establishing elders to lead those churches. This is why we are an elder-led church, because this is the biblical model of how churches are supposed to be led. This is why we don't have a king. I, I'm, I'm the familiar face of Grace Bible, because you see me most often, Cameron as well, but we don't run Grace Bible Church. We are to among a plurality of elders that run Grace Bible Church, most of which you got to see up on stage today. And these qualifications that have to mark these guys' lives, quite honestly, I'm not seeing a whole lot in here that shouldn't mark the life of the average, everyday, ordinary Christian. Amen. Yeah. This, this is a standard that we should all ascribe to. This is what the life of Christ means to produce in all of us. But for those that are elders, it's non-negotiable. For those that are elders, these things have to be on clear display marking their lives. So I read this to you for two reasons. I want you as our church family to be in observation as you are coming and going and out to eat and at work and, and you see our elders interacting with people here and see their lives being lived. Like hold, them, hold us accountable to this. Let us know if there are things in this list that you're not seeing us ascribe to in our lives. If you don't feel comfortable coming and talk to me about me, Tell Cameron, tell one of the other elders, and vice versa. 
Like this is a part of the journey. Hold us accountable to God's word because trust me, our elders plan to hold you accountable to God's word as well. We are a family. We're in this thing together. But let's, uh, so that's one reason. The other reason is, is for those of you that may be listening in, leaning in, watching online or whatever, that you may feel like God has a calling on your life or pastor or eldering, and you're just kind of wondering, well, what does it take? What does it look like? This is the right place to start right here. And so I'm trusting God to raise up godly biblical leaders in our church family to join the eldership throughout the generations of Grace Bible. But let's kind of chop these up one at a time. That way we know exactly what he means and we can feel the weight of each one of these. The first thing that he says is anyone that desires uh, is trustworthy that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, you really got to notice that word aspire. That's really important. Circle that, underline that. That's why I had you repeat it earlier. Is somebody that meets all of these criteria but yet doesn't aspire to the office of eldership doesn't need to be doing it. And I'm not just talking about wanting to be in charge at the church. When, I, when we talk about aspiration, I'm talking about somebody that the call of God on their life just will not relent. The burden that they feel for the people of God, for lost people to come to Christ, for saved people to grow in their relationship with Christ. If somebody's not losing sleep over, over the body, over people who don't have the burden of people on their heart all the time, that's not, you're not aspiring to the office. But those who, must, those who are elders must aspire to the office first. You got to want it. You got you to really not only feel this calling, but aspire to the office of overseer. You desire a noble task because the overseer is to be above reproach. Now, that's just a general term that all of these other examples will fall underneath. But essentially what he's saying is, first of all, let me clear. As Cameron said, uh, believe it or not, your pastors and your elders, they sin. And we struggle with sin. Matter of fact, there's some sins in our life that we struggle with so much that we, like you, weep before the Lord. We're on our knees. We're begging for accountability. Like, we're going through this thing called life, too. We are men that are in desperate need of the transforming work of Jesus to be at work in our lives. And so when I say above reproach, I'm not talking about perfect people here. But we are talking about men whose lives are lived in such a way that all of these other characteristics don't mark their character, but godly living does. Like if you see one of our elders' lives, sure, you're going to see, you're, you're going to hear them say a thing that they shouldn't sometimes. Catch me on a bad day. You're going to hear an attitude c- come out of them that they shouldn't have sometimes. You may see them do a thing that they shouldn't sometimes. And the question is, is like, is those things marking their life or are they really living a life that you could bring very little, if any, accusation against them because they're so consistent in the pattern of their godly living? That's the question about above reproach. He goes on to say, not only should the elder and overseer be above reproach, but he takes it right through the front door of his house and say he needs to be the husband of one wife. In other words, literally in the Greek, he needs to be a one-woman man. Now, We're going to talk a little bit more about this on Wednesday night uh, during our online Bible study time. But let let me shape this up as best as I can. Paul saying this to Timothy is not saying that in order to be an elder, you have to be married. As a matter of fact, we don't know that Timothy was or that Titus was. Many of the New Testament apostles and leaders weren't necessarily married. As a matter of fact, if you remember what Paul said to the Corinthian church, hey, Unless you just can't control your lusts and your passions, like Paul said, I encourage you to stay single so that you can fully devote yourself to the work of the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 7, go read it. 
Yeah, so, so there, there's something beautiful and something, it's a picture of the sufficiency of the Savior Jesus when somebody walks faithfully through their life as a single person and invests themselves completely in the kingdom work. And then being single does not eliminate them from eldership. But he is saying to those who are married that you need to be a one-woman man, fellas. Again, I'm not seeing anything here that shouldn't mark the life of an average, everyday, ordinary Christian, but you need to be known for your love for your wife. It needs to be on clear display. She is a testament of the nourishing consistency that you have in your life and in your family. It will be visible in her life, how well you're loving and serving her. You need to be focused on her. Keep in mind, though, um, when when Paul told this to Timothy, he wasn't telling it to a, a room full of single guys. Um, he wasn't talking to a room full of divorcees even. He was talking to a room full of guys that quite honestly in Roman culture could have had multiple wives as a result of bad business dealings or uh, slavery or there's a lot of ways they could have ended up with more than one wife. And he's reminding them, hey guys, even if even if business or something else has brought other women into your role of responsibility, your, your erotic connection, your emotional connection, your faithful servanthood as a husband needs to be to the one that God gave you, not to the one that business brought you. Now, we live in a totally different day and age. We don't, we don't allow for, what is it called? Uh, polygamy. polygamy in the U.S. of A., so we don't have to talk through that context. But we'll... we'll, we'll check that up a little bit more in detail on Wednesday night during our live stream split screen. But we also want to talk about this. Some of you by now may be raising an eyebrow saying, as you're putting the piece of the puzzle together, wait a minute. Paul's using a lot of masculine language here. He's talking about a husband of one wife. I just saw all the elders on the stage and it was a bunch of dudes like, Dustin, what about the ladies? Why doesn't Grace Bible have ladies that are elders? What, what's up with that? Like, have we just not caught up with the times yet? And we're not seeing the value of women in leadership? Listen, both of our wives are extraordinary leaders. Um, we see the value of women in leadership. One of the things we're going to really t tease out in detail on Wednesday night is why we believe that the scriptures teach that the role of eldership is a, is a role specifically and exclusively reserved for godly men. Qualified. Quali yeah, qualified godly men. Um, we see the evidences all throughout Scripture. We'll talk more in detail about that. You'll have an opportunity to interact online Wednesday night. But ultimately, just to give you a snapshot of the picture, man, this dates all the way back to before the law of Moses, all the way back to Adam and Eve. There were some specific roles that God laid upon Adam. They were exclusive to him as the husband and the man. We see as God's developing his his nation, the people of Israel, even all the way through the New Testament church that he continues to appoint and confer godly men into leadership roles. There were times when ladies had to step into those roles because men weren't getting the job done. And God has a way of giving you ladies the ability to pick up our slack. Get amen? amen? But it's not God's design that it be that way. God has designed the household that husbands be the leader of their household and submit to Jesus as they faithfully love and serve their wives and families. And so it's just kind of this common thread of the male headship in Christ. And it's not some chauvinist thing or some sexist position that we have. It's a very doctrinal and theological position we have as a church. Again, we'll tease out more on Wednesday night. And, and for fear of creating more questions than I do answers in this brief conversation, we want to invite you back 8 o'clock, Facebook, live stream, split screen, me and him. We'll shape that up in a lot more 
detail. Uh, but essentially, uh, essentially this, this calling, just to sum it up in a, a memorable phrase, ladies and gentlemen, this office of eldership within the body of Christ is conferred exclusively on godly qualified men, not because of there being an issue with capability. This is not about capability differences between genders. This is about responsibility differences between genders. You follow what I'm saying? It's not about capability. It's about responsibility. And this is how God ordered these things to be. He goes on to say um, that an elder needs to be sober-minded, clear-headed, and disciplined. We don't want leaders in charge of the church or the body of Jesus Christ that are carried off by their emotions all the time and are not clear-headed, sober-minded thinkers. Hard stuff happens in the world of leadership. Elders in the kingdom of God need to be steady and sober and objective and clear-headed as they're dealing with the hard stuff. Uh, Not that we always are. Um, An elder is to be self-controlled, orderly, not living a chaotic life. Does chaos always surround that person? Well, they probably shouldn't be an elder, or at least now is not the time. Um, They need to be self-controlled and orderly, hospitable. I love this one. That word we talked about either last week or week before. That Greek word for hospitable means that you have a love for strangers. Like this is just one of the many places in this that God is calling godly biblical elders to that their life would be consistent both inside the church, outside the church, inside their home, at church, in the workplace, that they love strangers and outsiders just as much as they do the people that God has entrusted to their care. Yeah, they open up their home sometimes. They love people in the workplace. They serve people they don't know. Like, that's what a godly elder does. He's hospitable. Godly elders, they are not to be a drunkard. We don't need leaders being, their judgment being clouded by things like alcohol. But let's be honest, you can get drunk on a whole lot more than alcohol or substance abuse. But surely this, very specifically, it doesn't prohibit pastors or elders from drinking alcohol. It prohibits living a life of drunkenness. We need them to be sober-minded in more ways than one. We need them to be stable. Who knows when you're going to get the phone call? Who knows when the hardship is going to strike your home or someone else's? I remember when King Lemuel, I'm probably saying it wrong, Lemuel's mother in... Um, in uh, Proverbs 31, giving him advice, saying to him, like, uh, strong drink are, are for your followers, but you, O king, you need to stay away from it. Because what would happen if we came under siege in the middle of the night? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? He's encouraging him to stay sober-minded. Elders should be a people who are sober-minded, be tempered with some of the freedoms that they have within their relationship with Christ, like alcohol, for example. They don't need to have a reputation of being a drunkard for sure. Um, Not violent, literally one who never is a giver of blows. Uh, Sometimes I do want to go to blows, all right? Sometimes I feel like the only way for people to get it is to catch these hands, but um, all right, Lord, forgive me for that. You know what I'm saying? Should have said that. Uh, But yeah, not violent. Elders are going to have to react to difficult situations and difficult people all the time. My favorite part about being an elder is the people. My least favorite part about being an elder is the, yeah, you got it. Well, sometimes we are the difficult people. I know. Ask, ask my wife. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but someone who ha- can handle situations calmly and gently. Ooh, since, since we're confessing our sins, this next one, not quarrelsome. Mm-hmm. Can I say one more thing about not violent? Sure, sure. An elder needs to be someone who is prone to grace and not grudges. Mm. We're going to be dealing with hard situations and difficult people all the time. 
If you're a holder of grudges, elder probably ain't the right fit for you. Because if, as an elder, as you are continuing to receive the mercies of God in your life, the body, the church, the people of our community, insiders, outside, they need to experience that, that outpouring of the love and mercies of Jesus. And grudge holding has no place in biblical eldership. Now, well, not being quarrelsome. And sometimes when we speak the truth in love, that's not going to land. It's not going to feel graceful and merciful, right? And people will hold grudges against us for yeah. speaking the truth in love. And yet, yeah. it, is, it is loving to tell people the truth. Yeah, trust me. I don't want to be up in your business. I'd rather you all... Handle, handle your own business. <laughs> but sometimes the loving mercy of God that we step into people's stories and have the hard conversations, and I hate every single one of them. But there's just a burden on the heart of an elder. It's a, it's a thing that God has placed on us, man, that we love the people that God has entrusted to us. And so that makes us have to do some things and say some things that we're uncomfortable with, that you don't want us to be a part of, that you don't want us to know. And that is the work of God. And this is how he's ordered it, that we would be a part of that. I just invited you to pick our lives apart and get up in our face and make sure that we are living in accordance to God's word. And it goes both ways. All right, we have to be able to do the same thing in your life as well. I hate seeing husbands and wives, families falling apart and having to step into their story and saying, what are you doing? I hate seeing parents mistreat or mislead their kids and having to step in their story and say, what are you doing? Or people like, blowing all their money on stupid stuff or whatever, and just like as a godly counselor in their life saying, hey, like, come back. Think clearly. Be sober-minded. Look at the Word of God. You're wrecking your life. Like, we don't want to do any of that, but that's part of the calling on the life of the elder. Trust me, we find no joy in it. Um, but it is motivated by the love of Jesus yeah. uh, in our lives for sure. Not be quarrelsome. We need to be a promoter of peace. And unity. Yeah, the way that lands with me is I, I, I like to argue. Uh, I like to discuss things. Yeah, right. Vehemently with lots of emotion. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. A amen. We, <laughs> but, but, but. Uh, Certain things I have to make sure I have a tank full of grace before I bring it up mm. to Cameron because I know he's going to just like just. <laughs> Lovingly rebuke. Aggravate me to no end, you know what I'm he, saying? <laughs> and, and for me that is I, I, I need to win people, not arguments. Oh, man, we all need to learn something from that, brother, yep. particularly with all the tension going on in the world around us. Hey, you hear that kingdom of God? You hear that people of Jesus? You hear that Facebook our users? Our mission is not to win arguments, it's to win people. Amen. That's why we're here. Amen. What good is it to win arguments and lose people? Mm. What is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet, man, we're, on the, we're in the people business. And we're here to chase them down, to love them well, to point them to Jesus. Um, not a lover of money. We've addressed that. Yeah. Peter even... Trust me, you're getting well. in the wrong business if you love money anyway, so not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. The, the emotional, spiritual, relational health and vitality of the family, of his own family. And, and Peter, uh, Peter goes on to say, what business does he have leading the family of God if he's not leading his own household well? Um, this, this really kind of barrels us off into a little bit of the conversation on divorce. Is it, is it appropriate? Is it right and good? Is it biblical? Uh, for someone who has been divorced to be a, an elder or a pastor um, is one of the, we may tease that out a little bit more on Wednesday night, but essentially um, the answer can be yes. And I probably the half of y'all are gasping right now because you were under the impression if somebody goes through a divorce, that eliminates you from like the highest place of church leadership, eldership. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, I would say to you this. A man needs to manage his own household well. Otherwise, he doesn't need to be managing the household of God. Um, 
And let me put it to you, if someone, if a man is going through a divorce, he has no, no place in pastoring or eldering. Just, you just can't. Like, man, you, you are a living open wound at that time. You don't have enough left in the reserves to be able to care well for the people. All right? And as a matter of fact, like, if you're going through a divorce or if you've recently gone through a divorce, like, there's a whole lot of other things that need your emotion and affection and attention in your life. And having to serve the people of God and their needs is going to pull you away from your most important and primary ministry, which is your family. So that's why a pastor going through a divorce needs to step down. A pastor, someone who has recently gone through a divorce does not need to be involved in shepherding the flock. But that leaves a question. is somebody who once upon a time had been through a divorce. And there is a regular, reoccurring, easily identifiable faithfulness in all of these categories of their life. Are they still disqualified from the role of eldership to which we ascribe as an elder team? No. No. Uh, we believe very much so that this leaves plenty of room for somebody to step into that role once again one day as God does a restorative work in their life. And there is a long history of living out these very specific tenets and principles in their life that there is an opportunity. And hey, what, honestly, what better people to lead us through the hard stuff of life than those who have been there? And those who have suffered, but they've suffered well and they've come out to glorify God. And now they are now investing in the kingdom of God. You know, um, speak, speaking of managing household, well, you don't have children yet, but can, uh, can you give me some grace for having a two-year-old that may look like I am <laughs> hey, not And give some grace to my... pastor's kids in general. Like there's a lot of pressure on their life, you yeah. know. PKs have a bad rap because they, you know, they get a little unruly at, at times. But like, yeah, that, that um. That, that's, a, that's a tough area, I know. And quite honestly, as I lead through this list, I feel like I fall short of a lot of these things too often. Yeah, one, three, five, seven, and nine, yeah. Yeah, right. Hey, man, listen. <laughs> I'm just playing. Keep going. Judge your own daggone self. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't be a recent convert. You can't be a recent convert to be an elder of the church. Uh, we all get excited when somebody new comes to Christ and they're excited. And there is a temptation to kind of thro thrust them into some leadership roles because we want everybody else to catch their excitement for ministry but like and that's good for a variety of different leadership roles within the body but not eldership eldership needs to be seasoned tempered men that have gone through just the, the hard stuff of walking with god through the various seasons of life well and because you know? it is a target for the enemy oh absolutely yeah he he has his target painted he says on that specifically role. Um, you know, so, so that he wouldn't come under the condemnation of the devil. And he says something similar for this last one, saying that elders should be thought well of by outsiders as well, so that he doesn't fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. Like we, um, in other words, is the elder just a shining example of a great guy at church, or do his coworkers out in the world feel the same way about him? Do his neighbors also see that, man, this is a, this is a guy that's self-controlled and respectable? Do not Christians see this lived out in the life of a Christian as much as the Christians are when we put on our Sunday morning smiles? There should be consistency in the life of an elder inside, outside, upside and downside, wherever life may take them. And that's what this is all about. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, um, we have a group of men in our church that meet these qualifications. And who wouldn't want there to be people in your life, a group of people in your life that live their lives that way, that love Jesus that much, that love their family that much, that love each other that much, that love you that much, who wouldn't want to invite that into their life? Who wouldn't want to invite that kind of leadership and that kind of mentorship and that kind of humility and servanthood to that group because of this faithful walking with the Lord? This is why 
The apostle Peter tells us there back in chapter 5, he says, likewise, you who are younger, not just in age necessarily, but maybe younger in your relationship with Jesus, likewise, you who are younger, be subject or submissive to the elders. Like, in other words, folks, like, these are the type people we need to be taking our cues from. These are the kind of people you want advice from. These aren't the kind of folks to run away from when they say, hey, can I get a few minutes of your time? I see some mess going on in your world, and I just want to minister to that. I want to speak to that, and I want to call you into obedience. And like, this is, this is the kind of episkopos we should be inviting into our lives as people. And, this, and we submit to one another as well as an elder team. We submit to you as the church body. Well, that's, and, um, that, that's why he says at the, in the middle of verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you. All of you, everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Because though we may have a specific role over you as the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ, we are all image bearers. Yeah. And we all reflect the very imageness of the God who created us and called us to himself. And we need to be clothed with humility for one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I, I don't want to stand with God's opposition towards me because I have failed to clothe myself with humility yeah. as I serve to seek you. And the, the, the same is true for you. Yeah. Hebrews 13, 17 goes on to say, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. An account to who? I mean, these elders of our church, your pastors, we, we intend one day that we're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account to the things that we said and didn't say, to the things that we did and didn't do, to the directions that we went and didn't go. We feel the weight of that every day. And trust me, when we have to step into the hard stuff, have the hard conversations, go a direction that is not celebrated and favorable amongst the people of GBC. We do so with the weight and humility of submitting to the Lord on our shoulders. Sometimes we have to obey God and not men. And it happens often. But we trust him. And we hope that you trust him as well. And we hope that you trust the Lord through the elders of GBC as well as the part of the shepherds and overseers of the flock here at GBC. And let me just... Let me just Wrap up with, with this. Um, we are trusting that God has called some others out um, to move towards pastoral leadership and eldership in their church. This is how we thrive. We need to have a constant changing of the guard and the leadership of our church so it doesn't become cliquish, so we don't get myopic, so we can't see clearly what's going on around us because it's the same guys sitting around the table year after year. We, it's healthy for us to have turnover and transition in that. And can I just be like completely vulnerable and honest with you about this whole deal? I am burdened. I am burdened by the fact that every elder that you saw up on this stage today with the exception of one that is now rolling off who's Jamaican, I am burdened by the fact that every one of the elders of our church is white. It bothers me to no end. Now, I'm not foolish enough to throw somebody into eldership just because of the color of their skin or because they almost make the mark. And we want black guys and Hispanic guys around the table. We're not going to be that foolish. But what I am saying to the black men and Hispanic men of Grace Bible Church and to the white men, I long, we long for the visible representation of the leadership of Grace Bible to be reflective of its body white, black, Hispanic, Seminole Indian, 
but we even more so long that it is a reflection of heaven. Like we're, we're practicing for heaven. And for whatever reason, throughout these seasons of GBC, with few exceptions, most of the men that have aspired to eldership, that God has raised up to eldership in our church have been white. And I grieve over that. And I beg God to change that. So I call out to you, black men, Hispanic men, Seminole men, Milano men, bruh, has God called you out? Have you felt this mantle placed on your life to walk towards pastoral leadership and eldership? We are desperate for that. And we are trusting God for it. Until that day comes, we're not going to be disobedient or rash with our decisions. But, man, I long for the day when we sit around the table. Just as the, just, and, it's, and it feels like that day when we sit around the table in heaven at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Every tribe, tongue, and nation represented in the elders of Grace Bible Church. Leading our people, loving our people. So pray about that. Matter of fact, let's pray together. Thank you guys for listening in. We know we blew through how, we, how long we typically talk. But this is an important, meaningful conversation for us. Please, please tune in on Wednesday night at 8 o'clock for our live conversation. Engage in the comment section with us. We'll be watching those, and we have team members watching those. But if you miss it, watch after the fact as we grapple through this tough thing of how gender plays a role in church leadership and polity. Um, that's important for us to understand as a church family. And we want to champion to the full extent the value and the leadership that women of grace bring to the table uh, in our church as well. So let's pray. Would you pray for us? Yeah, yeah. Father, we, we thank you for these dear ones leaning in and listening for this long conversation. Uh, and, Father, we do. I echo Dustin's prayer, God. Would you call up godly, qualified men, Father, from every nation, tribe, and tongue that call Grace Bible home uh, to lean in, to aspire to leadership. And, Father, would you continue to equip us as the leaders of Grace Bible Church to know how to equip each and every image bearer in this place to make disciples who make disciples uh, so, Father, that we can see our, where we live and where we work and where we play saturated with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that every single man, woman, and child in the Heartland region would have a daily intimate relationship with Jesus Christ growing so that they can make him known. Father, to this end, uh, we want to pursue you and pursue your work that you have for us uh, on earth as it is in heaven, in the Heartland region as it is in heaven. And God's people said.